friends. So if you've uh, been with us this semester, you know that we're working our way through the Apostles' Creed. And tonight we're looking at um, the phrase, he ascended into heaven, or he ascended to heaven. And we're thinking about, theologically, what we call the ascension of Jesus. And to do that, I want to read a passage from Revelation. If you know the book of Revelation, it's John's a vision of the ascended Jesus, uh, the revelation of Jesus himself. And we're looking at the revelation of the ascended Jesus himself. We're looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time together thinking about this passage and what it means for us that Jesus is ascended and seated at the right hand of God. So Revelation chapter 1, starting verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, the ascended Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let me pray for us. I just want to think about for a little bit together tonight the ascended Jesus. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not just a lamp unto our feet. But Lord, we thank you that it it reveals you to us. It shows us, it tells us what it is that you are like, who it is that you are to us. Not just what it is that you have done, but what it is that you are doing. So Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention to your word, as we turn our attention to you, Lord, I ask that by your spirit you would be at work in us. Lord, we confess that we are those who are so often blind. We are so often deaf to you. 
And Lord, tonight, would you give us eyes to see you as you really are? Would you give us ears to hear the good news, not just about your life and death and resurrection, but about your ascension and what it means for us? We ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. You know, I think I'm increasingly convinced the longer, so I've been a Christian since right before freshman year of high school, and I'm, I'm 41 now. I feel like I say that a lot. I've been a Christian for a little while now. But I'm convinced that um, so often my problem, your problem, if you belong to Jesus, is that we don't see the Lord clearly. We don't see him as he is. I can remember being in fourth grade. I've got four kids, but in two of them, we, one of them we has glasses now that she refuses to wear, which is a whole other convo. But I can remember being in the, the back of Miss Blake's class and, and struggling to see the board and her, you know, having to, like I was failing in school because I, could, I couldn't take notes. Like I was trying to pretend like I could see it and I couldn't see it, so I was just faking it. And her saying, I think, you know, to my mom, I think Sammy needs glasses. I think he, he can't see. And I think so often that's what the Christian life is like for you and for me. That so much, not all, but so much of our struggles that we really can't see the ascended Jesus. Uh, when we use that word, the ascension, the simplest way that I want to tell it to you tonight is it, it means that Jesus ascended after his life, death, resurrection. He ascended to his throne. He is the king. Uh, if you've watched any sort of kingly, whether it's Lord of the Rings, if you're more a Game of Thrones person, like there's so like. That's what the rightful king does. Eventually, he, he ascends to his rightful throne. And in Jesus' case, it is the throne of God, the right hand of God. And what I want to do is just think about very simply two things from this passage. I, think, I hope they make sense. This is how I've been thinking about it. Just two things I think we miss, we don't see, that we really need in the ascension. The first is that Jesus is king. And the second is that the king is Jesus. So let's first, let's just dive into a little bit that Jesus is king. We could do a little bit of context of Revelation. If you've ever studied Revelation, I mean, gosh, where can we start, right? There are so many things we could say, but I think the simple thing I want you to, if you've gotten the weird, like I got the weird version of Revelation as a, as a youth group uh, wannabe hero, from a very non-reformed tradition that was like, these are the crazy things that are going to happen or are happening in our world. And let's speculate on these. No, Revelation most simply is the revelation of Jesus. And in particular, the, the risen and ascended Jesus and what he is like and what he is doing and going to do. And the context that John is writing from is important because all you need to know is that essentially tremendous persecution, which means tremendous pain and suffering which we've not in America known much persecution, if we're being honest. There might be some. But just think about your seasons of pain and suffering. Sometimes the hardest part is you, in the pain, in the suffering, we, we can't, we don't see the ascended Jesus on his throne. And how quickly we forget that Jesus is king. And all I want to do is the way that John does it is just draw your attention to the way he describes Jesus. And this is going to be the larger part of this sermon. It's just think with me for just a little bit about how he describes Jesus. And in this vision, again, Revelation is apocalyptic literature. So you know that he's not 
being literal. Like this is not if we were to, if Jesus were to descend into our midst right now or reveal himself in our midst. This is not literally what he looks like. But he's describing King Jesus. What does Jesus as king look like? And here's how he does it. Look at it just for a second. He's wearing this long robe with a golden sash. And it communicates that it's a priestly robe. That Jesus is both our king and our high priest. It's not unlike the one that Jonathan wore in 1 Samuel 18. And the sash, interestingly, it's not worn around his waist, which would have signified work, but it's worn instead around his chest, which signifies accomplishment, that the work is finished. Then when Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, this is part of his priestly work as our king. Then John, it gets weird. He says the hairs of his head were like white wool or like snow. And all you need to know is this an image that communicates wisdom. There is no wiser person in our world than Jesus. He calls himself the, the ancient of days. I think about Alyssa had a grandmother who lived 103 which, I mean, she like played golf into her late 90s. <laughs> she surfed the nursing home into her late 90s. She drove into her late 90s. One of, some of my favorite vacation memories, we would go visit her. And one in particular that I loved was just driving around this, uh, her hometown, Rockford, Michigan, and just listening to her tell from her place of wisdom just her life story and really the life story of this town. And there was just so much wisdom And part of what John is saying is Jesus is full of wisdom for us. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And this is what I want to draw in on a little bit. This doesn't mean that Jesus, he doesn't just see us, but he sees through us. He sees down into our heart motivations. He sees what it is that makes us tick. He sees what it is, uh, the idols that we are drawn to. He sees our stories and the dots of our stories that we've failed yet to connect. He sees us. He sees through us. His feet were like burnished bronze. This is an allusion to Daniel chapter 2 where Daniel is interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream and in there, there's a statue of a king whose feet are made of a mix of iron and clay. And what it meant was many rulers would rise up, but their feet weren't steady. They weren't immovable. They would fall because of either pride or greed or lust, but not Jesus. He is immovable. He is immovable in his love for you. He's immovable in his reign over this entire, not just world, but cosmos. He's immovable as our king. He is steady. His voice, like the roar of many waters. Uh, we had this trip several years ago to Niagara Falls. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? It's, uh, it's a little bit touristy. We did, we did both sides. We did the Canada side. We did the Buffalo, New York side. I, both, I recommend the Canada side. It's a little more cultured. But the impression was, as you get near to these falls, as you drive near them, and especially as we walked up to them, you don't just hear the falls. You feel them. You feel them in the weight and the beauty and the power. And it's unlike anything I've ever heard before. And John is saying that's something of what the voice of Jesus is like as he speaks by his spirit through his word. It is a roar of many waters. In his hand, he held seven stars. 
I grew up, uh, I grew up in, a, in the Episcopal world, but we still, we had some good VBS, probably not like you Baptists, but we had some in the Episcopal church. And we, we sang that song as kids. He has the whole world in his hands. He has the whole world in his hands. He has the whole wide world in his hands. And John is saying, yes, and the entire cosmos. That there is not, I like the way that R.C. Sproul says that there's not a maverick molecule in the universe that is not within the grasp of the wounded hands of Jesus, both as creator and as redeemer. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Again, not a literal picture, but we know the words of Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. His word, his authority, his knowledge of us pierces, but it doesn't pierce to wound. It pierces to heal. And the last one, his face like the sun shining in full strength. This is hearkening back to the ironic blessing from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. I think about that and I want you to hear this. The face of Jesus isn't full of frowns. The face of Jesus isn't full of contempt. The face of Jesus isn't full of waiting to shame you. The face of Jesus looks at you with the blessing of what he has done on your behalf. And his great love for you. And his delight over you. Um, Harry Potter. We're working, trying to work in every time, but just got to the place. I'm still working my way through Order of the Phoenix and just got to that first introduction of Dolores Umbridge. And man, gosh, what a what a just Pharisee of Pharisees. But I've never I guess this is in the movies. I don't know if it is, but that scene where she Harry Potter, Harry's got detention with her for the first time. And he has to write over and over again on the paper that cuts into his hand. I will not tell lies just thinking about the way she wields her authority, the way she wields her power, and how unlike the Lord Jesus that it is. And this is the second thing I want you to see, is that Jesus is king. But the second thing I want you to see, and we're going to move quickly through this, is that the king is Jesus. The king... The ruler over all things, the one who has all authority and power in his hands, is Jesus. It's the same Jesus who fed the 5,000. It's the same Jesus who, who met the woman by the well, and she had never met a man with that kind of compassion. It's the same Jesus who washed his disciples' feet. And even when Peter protested in his pride, said, no, Peter, trust me. It's the same Jesus who, who, as Peter left him as he went to the cross, and Jesus met him in that beautiful scene on the beach where he's making breakfast, and he restores him. This Jesus, the Jesus that if you've ever read the Gospels, the Jesus who time and time and time and time again, when you think the Jesus who broke bread with 
sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, the Jesus who is full of compassion for you and for me, he is the king. Jesus is the king. Here's what I think this means for us. I think this means two things. I'll I'll kind of wind us down with these two things. On the one hand, it means because Jesus is king, it means we can stop pretending, performing, posturing. Like when you think about John's response to the to the ascended Jesus, it says he felt I fell dead at his feet. This is just two applications. Here's the first. I want you to see that you can't fake it with Jesus. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like you can't have this vision of Jesus and be like, I think I can sort of fool you. I think I can sort of get away with pretending to like love you. While, if you really know me, you know that I love these things way more. This is such a, I mean, like, this is such a, uh, I think, for you guys, this is true for all of life. But I think this time of life for you, this is so true. It is very easy to have one foot in Jesus' world and one foot in whatever else is that you really find life in. Right? It can be lots of things. If you're the younger brother, we, we know it, right? It's, it's five points, it's, it's parties, it's, it's hookups, it's slipping into the DMs, right? We could, we could, you want me to do the list? We don't need to do the list. If you're not the younger brother, you're the older brother, it's like showing up here and putting on the brave face and pretending like nothing's wrong. <laughs> like, we're, we've started squads, I'm curious how squads are going. But like my, our hope for squads is it could be a place where if you see Jesus is king, you, you're both invited into, but I want you to see that you have to be vulnerable because he sees you. He, like, he knows what's up. He knows what's going on. Like he knows what you're doing. <laughs> he knows, I don't... I don't want to take away the authority and the weight of what, like, he falls dead at his feet. Like, he doesn't show up and be like, Jesus, this is amazing. Like, I love you. You're awesome. Like, it's, he falls dead at his feet. Why? Because Jesus sees, cuts through all of the stuff. Um, I love, I'm not going to quote it, but I love Anne Lamott, one of my favorite writers. And she tells the story, and I think it's in her book, um, Something grace. Forgive me. But she tells the story of her conversion. And essentially she's a a raging alcoholic. uh, Wants nothing to do with Jesus or the church. And she has this great story where she says, I didn't experience Jesus so much as the hound of heaven, but I experienced him more in my drunkenness as I sort of wasted away my life. I experienced him more. And she describes it. It's going to sound weird, but she describes it more as the alley cat of heaven. And what she means is Jesus kept, it was like Jesus just kept showing up. He just kept showing up, kept showing up through people, through people who loved her, through this, this beautiful kind of black Baptist church that really kept inviting her in and in and in and in. This is what we want RUF to be. That saw her, knew her, knew her story, saw through it, but kept saying, come on, come on, come on. And she has this beautiful story where she says, my response to Jesus was being honest. I'm not going to say it, but she says, essentially she said, F it, I quit. 
Lord Jesus, have your way. And that's more what John is saying. But then the second thing I want you to see is that you can really trust Jesus. That that Jesus is king, but the king is Jesus, meaning you can trust him. The one who is the king is the one who lived the life you can never live. The one who is king is the one who died the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin, because of our pretending, because of our performing, because of our posturing. That the king is one who knows you and loves you and you can trust him. I love the way that Spurgeon will say it. He'll say, if you can't trace his hand, because if we're being honest, there are moments in our lives, there are moments even right now where we wrestle, Lord, what are you doing? Because we know that the king is Jesus, we can trust his heart. And that's what he's inviting us into tonight. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reality, the truth of your ascension, that you are the king, that you are the one who rules over us, that rules and reigns. Lord, would you give us so, by your grace, by your spirit, a vision of you that we might quit pretending, quit performing, but also, Lord, that we might trust you, that, Lord, you would, you would come and, and have your way with us, that your authority over us would bring us the freedom and the life and the love that we so desire. And Lord, we know that apart from you, that can't happen. So Lord, we ask, we look to you in that way tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song.